to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And this week, we are very excited because we have a very special guest. Real-life pal and friend of the show, Laura Atherton, is here. Hello! We're all very excited to have Laura on this week, and we're very excited about the movie that we will be discussing. We've been shoving it down your throats on Twitter since we got excited about it, so everybody probably knows what they're in for. Finally, Black Christmas 2019 has released, and we will be discussing it today. It is a movie that is directed by Sophia Tikal and written by Sophia Tikal and April Wolf. It's um, it's another one of those micro-budget Bloomhouse horrors, and it stars Imogen Poots, Elise Shannon, Lily Donahue, Brittany O'Grady, Caleb Aberhart, Carrie Elways, and Madeline Adams. But before we get into that, I want to give everybody a chance to sort of get reacquainted with Black Christmas as a whole enterprise. Um, we did just look at the 2006 version. We've talked about the 1974 version a lot. But to get into um, the spirit of things in this Black Christmas season, um, I want to give it over to Laura and give get a quick sense of how you are with the original film. Right. So I actually only saw the original film for the first time on Sunday. But um, I'm not sure if you guys know that, but... It's been a movie that Corey has been telling me to watch for like months and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic, but yeah, it's, it's something that I've heard about for a really long time. Um, and then only watched for the first time on Sunday. And I also had no idea it was Canadian. So that was really impressive and cool. Um, cause I love when I watch a Canadian movie and it's, like surprises me how good it is. <laughs> yeah. so, Canadian which, sound, <laughs> which sounds bad, and I, I Canadian cinema, but you know it's a thing where you just expect them to not be good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I loved it. I I loved absolutely everything about it. It was genuinely scary and unnerving, um, and then also it was funny and had great fashion that was the first thing i noticed Mm -hmm. um and i even i mentioned this to Corey the second after i finished it was that i'm obsessed um one of the boyfriends i think his name's chris yeah his fur coat just does not match his outfit at all but he's he's out there he's wearing it and just all the girls colors like i just i thought that movie was great in every aspect yeah so and that's Okay, sorry. sorry. This is going to be a whole thing of trying to get used to this new dynamic. Yeah. What I was going to say is that I have only seen the original and then the most recent one, the 2019 remake. I haven't seen the 2006 one, but I did listen to your conversation last week, which was a hell of a ride. <laughs> um, and it's I really want to watch it now. <laughs> Yeah, that movie is, it's interesting. It makes choices. Um, but yeah, it's super cool that you that you um, were really onto the original because, you know, longtime listeners will know that whoever you are, the four of you or whatever, um, will know that Liam and I have been talking about it off and on for a lot. And um, I kind of want to throw it over to Liam now then to get a quick reminder for what you thought was interesting about that original movie and what made us gravitate toward it so much 
Uh, well, hey, I don't have any insight on it that you guys don't have. You know, I, I only saw it for the first time a couple years ago, and it's just, it's super scary. Um, I think the female characters are strong. There's like, a, there's a pro-choice subplot in it that's uh, really interesting. It's it's funny. Um, you know, the, the sorority house supervisor, what are those people called? The, the head? She was called, the, they called her like a house mother. In the movie. Yeah, yeah, the but house I, mother. Yeah. <laughs> it much it must just be a Canadian thing from the seventies <laughs> specifically. Um, I, I think she's funny. I think there are some really entertaining scenes aside from the horror, like the dude destroying the piano. That's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> and then, um, and I just I really like the interplay between the women and the. Uh, the police officers and this idea that like it could have been stopped so much earlier if law enforcement wasn't so inadequate. And so I think there's a lot going on in that movie. And uh, the 2006 one brings a whole bunch of different stuff to the table. And so um, I was super excited to see this one. And I was hoping for something that was uh, really different from these other two, because I love those other two and I don't need to see them again, you know? Yeah. Um, Black Christmas is weird because it's one of those things where I I certainly don't think you'd expect it to be franchised, and I definitely don't think you'd expect um, the track record with the first two to be as strong as it is, because, you know, the second one is definitely a very different movie, but I do still think it's a good movie and an enjoyable movie, and in terms of the 1974 one, it's remarkable how well it holds up 45 years later not just in the horror space in the post slasher overload space but also in terms of that ideological bent which i think is something this week we're going to get into a lot because the uh the 2019 version has stuff to say and it is saying it very loudly and right into your face but oh for sure yeah but before we get into that i want to see if what people were feeling going into the new version if you had done any reading beforehand or had any familiarity or did you know anything or did you kind of go in blind um i didn't go in blind but i didn't really know anything about the director or any of the actors um i've i'd heard imogen poot's name before um but i don't think i've ever seen a movie that she's actually been in um, so I, I, I kind of went in semi-blind. Um, I watched the trailer and I have, <laughs> I have things to say about the trailer. <laughs> I haven't seen it. So if you want to say it later, please. Okay. Liam, have you seen the trailer? No, I deliberately avoided it when it came out because, um, I had heard pretty quickly that it gave away a lot of plot yeah. points. So it, it came oh, on man. when I was in the theater one time and I looked like a fool in front of my girlfriend. <laughs> I was putting my fingers in and out of my ears and another friend I was with left the theater because we were in so excited for this ears? movie. Not just yeah, in yeah, your yeah. ears? No, because then I can get used to the sound pretty easily and I can <laughs> figure out what's going you on. You were actively to... distracting yourself. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but now I'd really I'd love to hear about it and I'd love to go back and check it out because uh, I kind of want to see what all the kerfuffle is. Yeah, I yeah. think I think once we've laid out sort of the plot, like once we dive in, we can definitely go over the trailer because yes, I didn't know I, I avoided it. Um, and like you were saying too, I didn't know, I wasn't familiar with a lot of the folks involved in this movie. I had to 
do some research to kind of get some familiarity. There are a few actresses in it who like don't even have Wikipedia pages. Wow. So in some cases we are dealing with um, performers who it might be one of their first bigger movies. And um, in terms of the main creative force behind it, uh, Sophia Takal, who directed and wrote it, worked on films as a director anyway, Green, Always Shine, and Into the Dark. And April Wolf wrote a film called Widower. So um, this seems like their first crack at a more major kind of movie, which I think is super exciting. And I think in terms of star power, the two big things that we have going on are Imogen Poots and Carrie Elways, who I didn't realize was in it until the credits were rolling. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you know, normally on this show, we spend a lot more time kind of just shooting the shit about whatever and not really talking about the movie but um this is something that i've been really excited to get to so i think that we may as well just kind of get into it here and um no pressure but i'm once again gonna put our lovely guest on the spot and um (laughs) laura it would be fantastic if you could tell us what you thought about black christmas 2019 sure so again to say what I was going into the movie thinking, I watched the trailer and I I didn't say anything, but I genuinely <laughs> I genuinely thought this movie was going to be terrible because oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because I watched the original and it was so great. And I think just I watched the trailer immediately after I watched the original and it was just so different. So I was like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> and it, the, I'll just say the trailer does not do it justice at all. Like they. They didn't pick the worst. I don't, I mean, that's not really the way I want to say it, but they, I don't know. The trailer just didn't really Drag do them. the actual. You can, you can they, be mean. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> the trailer totally did not do the movie justice. And as we'll get into later, it, it was a bad trailer for other reasons. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. And I, I was very pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Um, so I saw it alone and, and uh, I think I haven't done that since Carol came out. In, I believe it was 2016. That was the last movie I saw on my own. Um, so yeah, seeing this movie was one, just it was a really great movie in my opinion. I, I had so much fun watching it. Um, and then too, I also just had the really nice, rare experience of going to a theater by myself and not having, um, I guess, the presence of another person influencing my opinion on the movie. Because um, I think a lot of the time, at least for myself, if I'm watching a movie and I know someone is with me and I know what kind of movies they like, I'll be like, ah, <laughs> and like nervous if I picked the movie. Like, I know if I brought, like, some of my friends to this movie, I would be like, I don't know, I would feel self-conscious and I'd be like, oh, well, they're not going to like it. <laughs> and then I would, like, it would influence how I felt about it. But I'm I'm very glad that I saw it alone because um, I think I kind of, especially because we're going to be having this conversation, I really got to think about all the aspects of the movie that were cool, the aspects that I didn't like, which weren't very many. I think there was, like, one thing, um, which was, I mean, like the plot. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a big thing to not like. 
<laughs> we'll get into it. It does. You know, it sounds like it. It sounds like a big thing, but it's not as big of a thing because I loved all the other Okay. A lot. Okay. A lot more. And when I say plot, I only really mean the ending. Um, okay. Yeah. But that's kind of that's kind of how I feel about it. In general, I really liked it. I really enjoyed watching it. Um, I thought the actors were great. Um, I'm not sure how much you want me to say because like this is meant to be a conversation, right? So eh. but yeah, the main the main we'll thing. Yeah, the main thing I think I liked was I thought the writing was great. I just I thought the girls were like genuinely funny and really seemed like people that I actually would know like people that I would have lived with and have lived in the past. And I just, yeah, I thought they were funny and I thought it was great to see girls like just being ridiculous and actually um, like there was one point where they talked about like, um, like shitting yeah, <laughs> like for a second. And I was like, I like, that is great. <laughs> My favorite thing with that was, uh, <laughs> was Jesse enters a room and says, is all I have to do with this ham just put it in the oven? Because that seems too easy. Yeah. And that is me in a kitchen pretty much every single time. And I, I deeply enjoyed that. So there's, I agree that there was a lot to like in that. Um, Liam, what did you think about Black Christmas 2019? I liked it too. I liked it. Um, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> So I uh, I liked watching it. I went with a few people to see this movie. Um, and I understand, Laura, what you're saying about uh, going to see movies with people and, and maybe being swayed one way or the other or feeling like you have to temper your thoughts or something. And fortunately, I took some people to this movie that... Uh, we like watching movies together, but we don't actually talk about movies together. So we got to re- react to the fun stuff and, you know, like the girl talking about putting the ham in the oven and the kills. And, and we got to kind of jump around and laugh at things like that. But then when the movie was over, we didn't talk much about it. And so I still got to feel like I uh, I was able to wrestle with it in my own head. And um, in doing that, I think I've where I am right now is that um, I like the idea of the movie a bit more than the way it was actually executed. I think that what we got in the film is a really great outline of a movie that could have a whole lot to say in really interesting ways. Whereas I think this movie has a whole lot to say, but I don't think the ways it says it are always super interesting. And um, I, I really like that it's so different than the other two movies. That's what I was most excited when I was seeing the posters and some of the um, promotional images for this movie. And and even hearing that it was PG-13 really interested me me because that meant that it wasn't going to be doing what the 2006 movie did to to get thrills out of people. And that it was just, um, it was going to be a movie that, uh, was important in this time, uh, you know, like post 2017 and, um, having women write it and having women write it, uh, so quickly. I think the movie, um, I didn't hear about it until April or May or something. And then it it came out, you know, uh, only, uh, six months later or so. I thought that was really cool because it's the kind of, uh, it, it was the formula for like passionate, really passionate, 
immediate filmmaking. And that really excited me. And I think none of that let me down. That's all there. And that's, that's really cool. But, um, a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the ways that the ideas came across sometimes didn't didn't land for me in the way that I um, think that they they could have. Um, so I'm I'm disappointed a bit in that regard, but I also can't deny that I just I had so much fun watching it, and um, I also need to acknowledge that I didn't really dig the 2006 movie after seeing it the first time. It was only after. Uh, thinking about it for a year and then coming back to it and uh and opening myself up a bit more i really liked it and so while this is a very different movie than the 2006 one it is one that i'd be interested to come back to because it's certainly not forgettable and um and i'm excited to be talking about it because i think it's a movie that really deserves to be talked about you know it's uh uh, some theatrical horror movies nowadays, you can talk about them for five minutes or in the case of me and my friends, you know, not at all. They just pass you by and they're fun for an hour and a half. But I think there is a lot here to talk about. And so that's what excites me the most. What about you, Corey? Uh, yeah, I, um, I'm very glad to join the group of liking this movie. I really, really, really liked this movie. Um, I'm in a similar position to Laura, I think, where... If there's stuff that I didn't like, there's not a ton of it, and it's pretty easily masking, or rather, it's pretty easily being masked by everything that I thought was really strong. I also thought that the the writing was really strong, that the characters were interesting, and it's really weird being um, the the general age of people in a horror movie who are doing a thing that you've just done because it's very familiar to be like, oh yeah, university, I did that. I'm familiar with these circumstances. I thought you meant like killing people. (laughs) Um, I just did that a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, and to your point, Liam, about not necessarily being sold on a lot of um, how it says what it's saying, or at least some of it, I don't want to say a lot and like put words in your mouth. But um, for me... This is a movie that, you know, like it has absolutely no subtext like at all. It's just text. But I thought that the lack of subtlety and the forcefulness with which it gets that message across really worked in its favor. And that trying to put that in the background somehow would have really um, done it a bit of a disadvantage. I was super psyched. I also saw it alone for what it's worth. And uh, um, there was like four or five other people in the theater. And there was this dude <laughs> down at the, fr- in, like near the front row who um, there's a scene where our main character is trying to convince like campus security that something is wrong. Um, and I get distracted because there's this like glowing phone screen and this dude pulls out his phone and just like starts swiping through Tinder in the middle of the movie. <laughs> and I'm like, in any movie, this is like an insane thing to do. But like in this movie, it's yeah. so uh, mental that I was, I had, he also <laughs> left like the second it was over. Like he was walking out before the credits were even starting. So I don't know what his deal was. But yeah, it was a it was an experience. Um, 
for anybody who might be listening who hasn't had the opportunity to see it yet, um, we're going to talk about it in depth. So, like, if you don't want plot stuff, leave. Now would be a good time to go see the movie. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm probably going to forego a super in-depth plot synopsis because, like I said, we've all seen it and we know that, you know, most people listening this far have probably also seen it. But a short version is um, our main character is a girl named Riley who lives in a sorority house on Hawthorne College's campus. And like the other two films, they're approaching Christmas break. And, um, you know, from that point, we get a sense of who all the girls that she lives with are and their relationship to one another. And we get put into sort of where she's at, which is there is an upcoming... Um, like frat house event with a bunch of the frat guys and um, she's anxious about it because her abuser is going to be there um, the movie is foregrounded on a story of sexual assault and accusations not being believed it was the president of the other frat whose name is Brian and um, Riley is carrying that sort of tension with her through that and it becomes juxtaposed with um some of the sorority sisters um, going missing and also being in conflict with the institution for trying to push up against some of its inherent uh, misogyny and racism and lack of consideration for these things. And one of the core things that we learn about early on is that there is a bust of the founder of the college named Calvin Hawthorne that got put into the frat house um, because it got moved off campus because of a petition from one of Riley's close friends whose name is Chris. And um, from there, it really goes places. Um, as we know, that bust can do some weird shit. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll get into that for sure. But I think the place we kind of have to start, um, and I'll open the floor to whoever wants to take this on first. I know it's a bit of a big task, but like the movie like I said, lacks subtext. And to really nail this home, I want to borrow a tweet from uh, Karen Hahn, who is an entertainment reporter at Polygon. She's done some freelance writing too. She's really smart, really great writer. And um, her tweet to introduce her review of Black Christmas says, uh, quote, there's no subtext, but when your text is, quote, maybe men shouldn't be able to get away with rape and actually experience consequences, maybe you don't need subtext. <laughs> And uh, I am curious how you guys felt about what the movie does with that as its big statement, because it is a really lofty thing to try to build your movie around. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if Liam, if you, but I can, I can start. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with that tweet <laughs> and yeah. obviously the the themes of the movie and I at first it's interesting and I think like as a woman watching the movie and for, right from the beginning have themes like right in your face and I was kind of like oh like this is this is where the movie's going that was kind of it was a nice exercise to recognize my own like internalized misogyny just as a person living 
in the I don't want to say in a society. But we live in a society. <laughs> we do live in a society. <laughs> but as just in the world that we live in now, I what am I trying to say here? Um, I think like I can't remember what the first thing was. I think it um when the one girl i can't remember her name is um she runs into riley's room and she's like um i have a final and i lost my her name and then fran okay so fran runs into riley's room and she's like i can't find my diva cup um and then riley throws her a pad and she puts on the pad right in front of riley and so like that i was like oh okay this is happening um and it was just like it was strange to me and i kind of like self reflected immediately after I had the reaction I was like why like why do I even feel weird about that like I that is something I do for a few days every single month <laughs> like why why do I feel weird about seeing that portrayed um so it was an interesting exercise in self-reflection as a woman to think about like why why some of the things that they said initially made me uncomfortable also some of the parts where and this kind of goes back to what I was saying about like before I'm glad that I saw it alone because if I was with anyone else I maybe would have been embarrassed um like there was the one part when they're all arguing in the kitchen and um Chris goes like oh like did you just not all men me and I was like like there were some parts in the movie the feminism was just so obvious that at first it made me kind of cringe because I was like oh this movie is is like really really making their themes obvious and really being um, in your face with their feminism. And for some weird reason that made me cringe at first. And then I I thought about it and I was like, why does that make me cringe? Like, that's like, it's cool. It's great. Is it it potentially because some of it dips into almost not sounding like how people talk? Like as if somebody in an argument wouldn't necessarily full on say out loud, did you just not all men me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, and I think also just like going back to the the whole Diva Cup thing, um, I like that is how my friends talk and how like most of the women talk, how, how most of the women I know talk. But I think I'm kind of just not used to seeing movies very often where the feminism is that in your face, and especially because. The original Black Christmas is so subtle in its feminism. This one just being completely the polar opposite. I was like, oh, okay, right at first. Um, and was kind of like cringing a little bit in, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but in a similar kind of way as I cringed a little bit towards the really obvious feminism in Booksmart. Oh, I haven't um, seen that yet. Um, it's good. I really liked it. Um, but... Some context for that, Booksmart is about two girls, um, and it's just very, in the same way that the new Black Christmas is, it's just very forward with its feminism right from the beginning, and it's just, like, very obviously has something to say and makes it clear what it wants to say. So, and with that movie as well, originally I was, like, kind of cringing, because I was like, oh, do I want to see this portrayed, like, the things that I think? (laughs) Um, And I think also something with, like the way the way that the dialogue was written and how forward they were and heavy handed with their messages they were in Black Christmas, it kind of made me think of like 
times when I've said things and I've shared my own experiences and been like, hey, like men should get away with this or whatever. Just like very bluntly said something um, about women's experience in the world that just should not be how it is. And I've kind of been like, oh, maybe, like maybe I shouldn't have said that. And I kind of like seeing that on screen as well. was like, oh, maybe they shouldn't have put that in there. <laughs> but then actually thinking about it now and talking about it now, I'm like, well, like, why wouldn't they? Like, it's, um, it's a real experience that women have. And yeah, women use diva cups and they're sick. <laughs> so why wouldn't you talk about it? Well, and yeah. it, it, it felt to me like the kind of thing where if, if someone leaves this movie and for some reason they're angry, you've made the right kind of person angry. Because it's like, yes. you're the kind of person that would get angry about this, like, you have other fucking problems. Like, Yeah. And another thing on that topic, on that point, all right, so after seeing the movie, as I always do, after seeing the movie, I went on Letterboxd and looked through some of the reviews, and I was really surprised because, it, it like, this movie did not get good reviews, at least so far. And I was reading through them, and I was like, man, like, these... In terms of stars, it wasn't great. And then also in terms of comments, like pe- things that actual like people had to say in reviewing it, um, I was reading through them and I was like, these aren't these aren't good. Um, and then I kind of got to the end of a bunch of reviews I was reading, and I was like, wait, let me let me go back and see who these people are that were reviewing these, and all the people who gave the film bad reviews for men, <laughs> yeah. which is interesting. That's not hugely surprising i think at least because there's the potential for people when confronted so directly like we've been talking about this kind of thing to just adversely react and not take it in as Mm -hmm. what's being said and like we sort of noticed like it's not just like a whatever statement this is a movie starring women made by women speaking directly to their own experiences in the world yeah. like it's not really something that is an arguable point i think there's um nothing really here that like this no one's asking to debate you about this movie like it's just making its point. yeah yeah um liam uh do you want to hop in on here at all do you have anything you want to throw in well, I think unfortunately, uh, horror films are a man's genre, and um, you know we've had Final Girls for a long time, but um, I think uh, dudes point to that too much as an example of how woke the genre has always been, and I don't think I don't think that's the case. Um, you know, I think a lot of that stuff is there. You know, Black Christmas from 1970 is, uh, I think, a pretty um, thoughtful film in that regard but I, I still think a lot of viewers um maybe male and female included you know just people who watch movies they're not used to seeing people in a horror movie talk so much let alone women in a movie talk so much you know and so i think that's that's going to make people really uncomfortable and i think right from the very beginning uh this movie makes it clear that it's not the kind of horror movie we've seen before, you know, it, it, it is, um, you know, we open with like a, a cold, a cold open kill. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, we've, we've seen all that stuff before, but I've never seen, 
uh, a woman put car keys in between her fingers uh, when someone, when a dude is like walking behind her on the street, you know, I, th- I thought that was really, that was really clever. And it's, and it's just one of those little things that, uh, that you don't really see in movies. Um, same with the diva cup. It's something that's relatable to a lot of people, but um, it doesn't come up all that often. And so I think little things like that are off putting to people. And then, when the movie barrels on and on and it turns out that this movie isn't only going to put the car keys in its fist, but it's also going to tell you why it's putting the car keys in its fist. I think people are going to get really upset. And um, I think it's, it's okay to be upset with this movie um, for a lot of different reasons. You know, I don't think you have to like this movie because it was written by a woman and that goes to both men and women. Um, but I also think there are a lot of people that aren't liking this movie because it is uh, not necessarily just made by a woman. You know, I think those people might not see the movie in the first place. But I think there are a lot of people that aren't liking this movie because it uh, seems to be talking at them or talking down to them or you know there there are all sorts of reasons that i think people are going to get riled up at this sort of thing i think the same thing happened with like spike lee's black klansman that's a movie that doesn't have any subtext it it ends with um uh footage of um a riot and text on screen um from malcolm x and um i think people got upset at that sort of thing too um people got upset at us and get out for uh having something to say um and i think i think that's all you know a bummer i think i think the reviews of people who don't like this movie are worth reading um but only for a few sentences until you realize where they're coming from and and i think there's a lot of people that are coming at this from uh unfortunate directions you know yeah it's about knowing whether you're getting a good faith or a bad faith argument and I think a lot of what maybe isn't a bad review, but is characterized as backlash is you're getting a bad faith argument. Or I'm seeing a lot of, for some reason, people who think male viewers who think the movie is talking about them. Um, yeah. And that's they're kind of telling on themselves, because if you somehow think that as a man, this movie is about you, you have some really shitty behaviors you need to figure out because it's pretty clearly about a specific kind of um misogyny and like alpha maleness and patriarchy that is only practiced by people who are misogynists like (laughs) you know and if you somehow think oh man like this feminist movie's like talking shit about me and it's like well maybe you need to think about how you behave around other people because you know i didn't think this movie was talking about me it was saying things to me and they're things that like any audience member i should take seriously but never once that i feel like i was being attacked um that's just kind of wild to me <laughs> like i agree with what you're saying and that you're kind of nuts if you think that as a man you think that this movie is about all men being evil because it's it's very clearly not and i think that's also um pretty obviously personified in landon's character because he's sweet and lovely and is helping the girls um 
So, yeah, I definitely think like the movie's not saying all men are evil, women are better than men, blah, blah, blah. It's, I think all it's really saying is that hyper toxic masculinity is genuinely terrifying and the most terrifying thing to a woman, which I totally agree with. And it's institutionalized. It's important to consider that this is on a campus too. And it sort of speaks to the fact mm-hmm. that it, it does come from the top down. And even if it doesn't engender like actual toxic masculinity and other men, it does get apathy out of a lot of people, which sort of speaks to um, Riley's whole experience with the security guard. Who's like too busy making a sandwich to give a shit. Um, that think- sandwich. Can I just Looked say terrible. that that sandwich was the scariest part of the movie? horrifying it was like what white bread and then like just ham and mayo (laughs) yeah i think i think because this is a pg-13 movie that scene uh that shot got the most reaction out of any anything else in this movie you know normally you go to a horror movie you see something particularly bloody and you wince but the second that sandwich came on screen everyone was like oh god people started vomiting in the theater it was a whole thing yeah the second and he was squishing that mayo out. I um, out of a I'm not single use it. package like an absolute God. animal. <laughs> um, and you know, I want to talk a bit more about this because I think obviously the central thing we're talking about and that the movie is talking about is that um, that toxic masculinity, um, systemic misogyny, and also uh, campus sexual assault epidemic angle um all those things kind of coalesce into its main thesis um which is also that it's coming from a particular like ideology that's sort of rooted in certain groups of men which in this case is literally personified in like a supernatural cult which is some shit that we'll get into but earlier on in the movie we have chris's character who it's notable um is also a woman of color and um there is a petition against carrie elways's character professor gelson and um they're having a discussion in this classics course um and he's being like weirdly smarmy and like targeting people targets riley in the discussion and things like that but he's trying to set up this whole like um like men built civilization and took women with them but you can't say i can't say that because a woman wrote this um so it it's pointing out like the weird hoops you kind of have to jump through but it also there's a point where they're discussing that class and chris asks questions like well whose classics are we supposed to be studying because the problem was with the syllabus and um it not having women queer folks people of color so this movie wants to have a more broad discussion about just general shitty societal bigotedness but um, its focus is on the um, toxic masculinity angle and the um, sexual assault angle. And I think that's when it's at its best, not because those other things shouldn't be said, uh, because they should. And seeing them in a movie is really refreshing um, because, you know, these are conversations that I've had in my own university classes. These are things we're talking about. And, you know when the movie has a bust taken off campus, it's hard to not read that as seeing how we reckon with legacies um, of historical figures that are complicated because they were 
misogynistic or racist and things like that. So it speaks to a lot of things that are actually happening, but when it tries to lump all of that in at the same time, it feels occasionally like it's trying to say too much about too many things. Uh, and I think it's at its best when I think as Liam put it, which was nice when it's putting its keys in its fist and um, taking a swing at that specifically in the interest of giving us a little bit of structure. I kind of want to open the floor to our last bit that focuses solely on the theme stuff. And then we'll get into more about how the movies like put together. Yeah. I think this is a really thoughtful movie in the way it it both um, is so aggressive and straightforward in what it has to say, but it it is also willing to have dialogue within it. I think mm -hmm. some of my favorite scenes were, um, you know, the literal conversations, the literal dialogue that you see two characters having. You know, one of them is uh, Imogen Poots' character and the campus security dude, the law enforcement guy. And in that case, you get both uh, law enforcement failing someone, much like you do in the first movie, and you also get this guy um, not wanting to take a woman... Um, seriously uh with the complaints she's having um about you know how another woman is going missing and then you also get stuff from women to women when you have uh imogen poots's character talking to chris and mm -hmm. and unloading her frustrations on her about how chris is she's always on all the time and she's always fighting some sort of fight and and it's just you know exhausting and can i pull a quote uh, from that that i think is yeah, illustrative yeah. um so there is a musical number that we'll get to because it kicks ass and um it does <laughs> i saw your instagram story earlier <laughs> um, but um i have genuinely been listening to all day that's incredible um but so there's a video that comes out of a musical number where um riley takes like a very straight shot at her abuser um but she didn't realize that there was going to be a video and that this whole thing was going to go out. And Chris and her are arguing about that. And in general, just kind of like, what's the best way to go about fighting these fights? Because it is fraught when you're working with other people's rules, kind of. And I guess in this case, like women have to work within male structures to try to do that. But she just sort of gets really frustrated and yells, we're not inspiring people, we're pissing people off. Uh -huh. which is a heavy thing. Um, and I think that kind of gets to the heart of what works so well about that is grappling both with agreeing with what's being said, but recognizing that just saying it like this sometimes causes more problems than it solves because people suck, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of uh, really smart, um, thoughtful stuff in there that shows that the filmmakers are... Um, they're really, uh, you know, cognizant of what they're putting forward and, and they're conscious about the way that they're going to come across and to come across and that some of the things they're saying um, might just seem like the same points that have been thrust forward over and over. And um, but then they, they really hammer down that these things are being said over and over, you know, that we need uh different forms of literature in classrooms and that we need men to not be so um, defensive whenever someone starts talking about men in general. It, it puts that stuff forward um, because it needs to be put forward, but it also um, talks a little bit about 
how that's going to come across and, and where we are um, in 2019, that it's not always enough to just put that forward, that we also need to talk about um, you know, why it's important and why it's not just uh, a platitude. And, um, and, and that's the stuff I really loved. I really loved when this horror movie wasn't actually being a horror movie and when it was just sort of um, uh, two people talking in a room. That's the stuff I really dug. Yeah, me too. I agree. I, um, I honestly, I don't know how you guys feel about um, uh, the scariness of the movie, I guess we call it. Um, but I, I'm not sure if I found the movie scary, but I definitely found it disturbing. And um, I guess like the parts of the movie that within traditional horror movies would be what the filmmakers trying to make, um, trying to use, I guess, to make the audience scared would be like the killing scenes. But I didn't really find those too disturbing, but what I did find really disturbing was however brief they were, the um, flashback scenes that Riley was having um, with Brian. Um, So I I honestly felt like, I don't know if that intended to be like scary, but I found that to be the most disturbing part of the movie rather than any of the kill scenes. I definitely liked when they were talking about, yeah, when they were just having conversation rather than the action of the film. Like I, I liked the dialogue. I liked the comedy and I thought the comedic timing was good as well. And a few, um, a few standout points, like especially um, when they're all standing around and Chris replies to the, one of the messages on her phone and she says something like ridiculous, like um, come over and like bite my ass and make me a panini on my mom's press. And then right after she said that an arrow immediately flies in between the three of them. Um, so I thought the timing on that was fantastic. Um, I laughed, like actually laughed. And so, yeah, I definitely agree with what you were saying, Liam, about how, I, how you enjoyed the dynamic of the characters the most and just the bits when they were just talking and having conversations because they were, they were really entertaining characters. Maybe I'm just a big baby um, because I know this movie was rated 14A, but as someone who's like somewhat new to the horror genre, I also really liked the horror stuff. But I want to say something to what you just said, Laura, which is um, like the flashback being more disturbing and i think that might be because the scariest stuff in this movie for sure is the stuff that is also real um a guy in a mask and a cloak shooting arrows through your house is weird intense but it's not real but like that's something that happens to people being followed at night when you're trying to get somewhere is something that happens to people keys between your fingers is something people do so i think that there's an element that makes that scarier because it's actual lived experience whereas like a dude prowling around your house choking people out with christmas lights might be a little bit harder to latch onto as scary because that's not gonna happen to you Mm -hmm. Um, what what we can go and talk about now is um sort of taking specific chunks of the movie that we thought were really effective and sort of breaking down what works what doesn't sort of getting into how the movie does handle horror with a 14a rating because obviously i think their solution to the violence 
um, is really smart, <laughs> um, which is basically just that there's no actual blood, which was genius because it lets mm. the movie still be violent. Um, but they get away with a lot more without having an R rating because it's black and not red. Um, but the thing I want to get to is, uh, is that whole like Christmas pageant. Um, or do you want to talk a bit about like the setup for that and the song? Yeah. So all the girls, um, they, I guess they go over for some kind of Christmas talent show to the frat house, which is the main, there's the sorority house and there's the main frat house in the movie. So they go over to this frat house for the, um, Christmas talent show kind of thing. And they, um, are talking during these Santa outfits. It was very, I mean, I think in the really obvious way, and I think it was intentional, it's very, um, very much a homage to that infamous scene from Mean Girl. Um, there were four girls, they're all in Santa outfits, and they were dancing around the stage. Um, but they sang this incredible, like, funny um, original song to the tune of, I think the name of the song is, like, Up, up on the Rooftop. Um, and... They just made the song completely about um, holding men accountable for sexual assault and believing women when they say they're sexual, sexually assaulted. And they just do this incredible song. And um, Riley also performs in it. And um, her abuser is in the audience, right? He is? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's it takes a lot of... Um, motivation for her um and most of that motivating is done by um because she wasn't originally going to be a part of this whole spectacle um but then the one girl i think it's helena yeah um she gets she gets really drunk and she's sick so riley ends up having to step in and she's kind of for the first little bit like just lost on stage and then she then she owns it and she gets into the song and she she kills it What's the song called? The actual song? No, their version. It's up up in the frat house or something. Okay, because I figured that would yeah. also be a, a fun name that they let put me a spin on it. Just yeah, let me look it up. Yeah, it's up in the frat house. Okay, and, and it's great, and it's also the song that they play in the credits, which is awesome. Yeah, that that whole sequence is great. Um because it does forefront like the seriousness of the movie but in a, a tongue-in-cheek kind of way where they're able to have fun yeah. with it and it doesn't have to be as dour and serious with it it's still serious but it mm-hmm. is able to mix the tone up a bit and feel a bit more like when they're just at the house like living their lives right and i think it also I'm going to try and say this and see if it makes sense. <laughs> if it doesn't make sense, you can cut it. But I think also the way that they tackled that horrific um, thing that happened to Riley in such a fun, comedic way, um, I think that kind of speaks to, I'm sure in many women's experience, how they deal with that sort of trauma and kind of trying to use humor and um, yeah, just kind of trying to use humor and and having, I don't want to say like making light of it, but just using humor and using 
their friendships for this for support and making something of that traumatic experience um and like you said Corey, like doing it in a very tongue-in-cheek way i think that kind of definitely speaks to my own experience um and then just generally how not only women but just how a lot of people tend to deal with trauma um when i mean there's obviously the initial like horrific traumatic part but i think a lot of the ways tons of people who go through trauma end up um coming to terms with it is through comedy and through um accepting their situation and overcoming it and and making something out of it so i think that was really cool that they did that um and did it in such a fun way and i i think it could have been insensitive but the way that they did it just worked really well. Um, and I'm, I'm super glad about that. Cause I, I was really pleased with how they handled that whole thing. Yeah. And then they punctuate it with something super direct because as they're walking off stage, they're getting hit with a mix of like cheers and booze. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I don't remember if Riley says it or somebody else says it, but somebody says to Brian as they're leaving, like maybe this will make you think before you go try to rape another girl, mm-hmm. which like really, very finely puts a point on it and goes like, yeah, we had fun, but also, Hey, yeah, this is what this is about. Um, and I thought that was really, really effective too. And, um, it's nice to know that the song has listening power outside of the movie. Mm-hmm. It does. <laughs> it's, it's actually like, it's well produced. It's a good song. Yeah. Um, and I think, the next thing that we can probably talk about is uh so the movie obviously in a lot of ways is updated for 2019 not just in these more thematic ways but also just like in how it handles stuff from other movies because it is still a remake it definitely distances itself in a lot of ways not the least of which having a supernatural bust of an old man who produces goo which we'll get to but um <laughs> I know I just want to lay that out there so people can get excited. But, it sounds um, like a goosebumps book when you say really it like does. that. The, <laughs> the bust of Calvin Hawthorne that oozes goo. But um, uh so one of the most iconic things for the original movie is the obscene phone calls that they get. Um and there is still one of those in this movie that Riley gets while they're going to buy a Christmas tree, mm-hmm. but a lot of it is swapped out for texts uh from an anonymous like account called calvin hawthorne um who just so we're 100 percent clear is the founder of the college that they go to um and uh that's where you're getting a lot of the um sort of intimidation tactic that goes with uh the calls from the original and i i want to send this to liam quick because i know liam you're a really big fan of not a big fan of the calls that makes you sound like a weird dude but what i mean is um you think that those calls in the original are super effective so i'm wondering what you thought about making it texts well um i didn't even think about it as a swap while i was watching this movie it's actually not until just now that you're saying that it was like an updated version of the phone calls becoming text messages because um it doesn't occupy the same space for me in the original movie the phone calls are uh so scary because they're like 
absolutely incomprehensible. Whereas the text messages here are used in the same way they are in a lot of horror movies, where it's just it's coming from an anonymous source, but it's still you know it's still uh, you can tell it's a person writing them, and it's like a like a neighborhood bully or something. Um, you know, obviously what these dudes are doing is much worse than bullying, but we just we see phones used all the time through text in that regard. So I actually. Um, I, I didn't, it didn't bum me out that the phone calls weren't in it. And I also, it didn't bum me out because I didn't, I didn't realize that, oh, hey, they're switching out the phone calls for text messages. It never even occurred to me. The one time I was reminded of the phone calls was in this one, uh, uh, actual telephone call we get where, um, uh, who, who, who is it that answers the phone? Imogen Poots' character? Yeah, Riley answers yeah, I think the it's phone. It's Riley. Okay, yeah, yeah. Riley answers the phone while she's out and about, and for maybe five, ten seconds, uh, we get a phone cutting in and out, and someone trying to speak through it, and it doesn't, it doesn't sound like a phone cutting in and out that we hear in other horror movies. You know, it sounds like the original Black Christmas phone call, where it's kind of, it's garbled in a way that sounds sort of alien, and I, I was super creeped out, and then, and then when it turned out that it truly is just. Um, a, a regular old oh, wait, phone yeah, trouble. Oh, wait, yeah, it's Helena's mom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And so when that happened, I I was actually a bit deflated because um, I didn't think that the movie had to make a reference like that and that it, it, it I don't think it had to have these phone calls. And so to make such a deliberate nod to the original and then have it just be a fake-out um, just it, it revealed itself as it's only there to make you think of the original. And um, I didn't want to do that because I, w- I was into what this movie was serving up. And that's, and that's why I didn't think of the text messages as a substitute for the original movie because I wasn't thinking about the original movie at all. So I was creeped out for those 10 seconds because I think that alien sort of talking on the phone is creepy. But then when it turned out, it was just... Um, what happens to all of us on a regular basis, you know, phone issues. Um, and it was just made to sound like the original movie. That, that was a bit of a bummer to me. Um, but besides that, I just, I thought the text messages from Calvin were, um, uh, sort of just typical horror movie fare. And I didn't think about them one way or the other. What did you guys think about that, that phone call from Helena's mom? Did that make you guys think of the original? It definitely made me think of, the original I didn't um I don't think I I thought too much about it um and I think I was also kind of expecting it um but I do agree with you Liam that um I kind of up to that point I had kind of forgotten that it was a remake um because it just felt so different and then once that happened i was like oh this this right this is called black christmas this yeah, is black yeah. christmas remake um i don't think i was particularly excited about it or disappointed by it, it i'm kind of neutral to it because i um yeah it felt like it could have been there could have just not been there yeah i don't have i don't have too much of an opinion on it but something i do have to say um about the text messages was one of my absolute favorite things in movie and TV is when there are like bootleg names for apps. Yeah. And oh yeah. The well, app. I, what was it called? Yip Yap. 
<laughs> instead of like yik yak i'm guessing it was supposed to be yik yak which first of all is not a messaging app at all <laughs> it's like an anonymous um like posting thing but anyway that was just so funny to me because i i fucking love what <laughs> when <laughs> that is so entertaining and it just reminded me of like <laughs> one of my favorite examples is in Corey. we have very recently talked about this but um the show riverdale yes <laughs> um my favorite one of my absolute favorite bootleg apps is that something that they very passingly mentioned but they're talking basically about grinder except they call it grindum which is <laughs> <laughs> just like no way. so much worse <laughs> oh that makes it way yeah. too that's too much it's too real like too descriptive yeah and uh, anyway though yeah yeah I'll t- and i'll tell you laura this uh this movie made me think about riverdale too in a different way immediately when we saw the dude we didn't know it was a dude but when we saw the person in the cloak with a bow and arrow i thought that cheryl blossom came into this movie and i wasn't able to take it seriously at all i thought the bow and arrow thing was um was totally Does like cheryl just archery? really campy and not threatening. Yeah, yeah. She becomes an archer in like season two and she just dispatches bad guys on the reg while <laughs> wearing a oh uh, red God. riding hood. And no it's way. like uh yeah. Yeah, so I guess that brings that brings us back to the scare factor of the movie and that uh, <laughs> That's what I wanted to I wasn't, talk about, yeah. I, yeah, I wasn't uh, that certainly didn't scare me. No. Um No, I definitely agree. <laughs> God. Also anybody listening who uh, doesn't know what grinder is, you can Google that on your own. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah let's i think um i think that we can go let's go to the part where let's go to like the real heart of the scares of this movie so i i think we should fast forward to where we have um we have riley chris marty and jesse in the house by themselves um because like you said it's when chris just really dunks on that guy with the whole panini bit and um amazing we realize that there is a weird cloaked figure in their house doing archery um Mm -hmm. and it's right after they've had arguments with each other um this is around when riley is arguing with chris about the video and a broader discussion of like what it means to fight against these sort of systemic injustices how to do that whether it's effective and then um marty's boyfriend nate gets involved um and then they sort of start snipping at each other we realize later that um there's a weird like really high-pitched sound um before nate starts being a real shit and um that was uh the spirit of calvin hawthorne activating his like alpha male brain (laughs) did you look that up after no i just put that together when because it happens to landon um, oh, and I didn't so even notice Nate, that. Yeah, Nate is like slumped over on the table complaining about having a migraine. And uh, that's what that is. Oh, right. Okay. Um, Sorry, presumably go. because one of the already possessed people was in the house. And I guess this speaks to obviously the biggest change here is that uh, this one's supernatural as fuck. Um, this is not just like a weird deranged person in a sorority house. This is um, a coordinated systemic intentional attack against these women for doing what they're doing and being out of line 
as it's explained later. But um, yeah, so now we have the girls in the house. Actually, yo, I just forgot. I want to talk about... Um, so beforehand, there is, I think, two other kills in the movie before we get to that point. And I want to talk about one of them. Liam and I have talked about it already, but I really want to talk about it again. Um, and it's when Fran is looking for her cat. Um, because right. it's probably my favorite in the movie. And Laura, I don't know if you know this, but it is an homage to a scene from The Exorcist 3. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah. And basically, so it does the same thing. So there's a there's a kill in that movie involving a nurse where there's a really extended, uninterrupted take of her like going in and out of rooms and like sitting at her desk and working and people come in and out of frame. And it's punctuated with um, a snap zoom and the killer like emerging from the side and like rushing across frame like this one is. And... Um, not knowing that that's coming and then the movie doing that was awesome. Uh, oh, cool. And it really, it it does that so well. And I think for my money, it, it's, it is a genuinely tense thing. Like it's kind of trite to have like looking for a cat in a horror movie, but I thought it worked here. Um, but uh, yeah, so let's get into the actual horror section of this horror movie a bit. And I guess I'll throw it to Laura first was there anything that stuck out at for you that either like worked or didn't or particular moments when they're trying to get out of the house or anything like that um I think I, I don't know if this is just because like desensitized to jump scares and things um but I normally and for for the most part of this movie I was not um I wasn't like particularly shocked by any of the the kill scenes, but I will say when um, I think her name was Jess, the funny one um, with yeah. who was making the ham. Yeah, the ham one. Another funny thing that she did when she went up to the attic to look for Christmas lights, and she was trying to find ones that work, and she just kind of like muttered to herself, "Like, do Christmas lights expire?" Yeah, and <laughs> that was so funny. And I just love that because that's like genuinely something I would say to myself. Um, but anyway, the point is, is that um, I was sitting alone in the theater and when the killer's face just popped up when she turned the Christmas lights on, like I jumped and I'm normally not that scared by jump scares anymore. So I was really impressed by that. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of like, scariness overall of the movie I think I didn't think about until you mentioned it Corey but I think the fact that there wasn't any actual blood um probably played a part in me not feeling totally scared or unnerved about any kind of gore the whole time because it did very obviously wasn't blood um but like I said before I was I think the scariest part of the movie for me was just the whole, um, the whole kind of frat theme because I've always kind of felt that there's just something really creepy about frats. Um, sorry if that, that's a generalization to anyone. Nah, I, I think frats are weird. Like, I think that's pretty across the board thing that people think is that I don't know. I've just there's always been something really eerie about them to me, not only in how that eeriness is played up in movies most of the time, but also in my real life. Um, 
as someone who's been to a frat party before, it was weird and, and weird and eerie and, and just odd. I've also um, dated someone in a frat at one point in my life, and there was all this stuff that he wasn't allowed to tell me. Really? Like he would go to his frat meeting. Yeah. Whoa. And it was just like, it just was really strange. And just the whole concept of, of fraternities has always been really creepy to me and, and really culty. So I'm not surprised that that's how the, the movie ended. But um, I think it turned to scariness, like just that whole eerie frat kind of thing. And frats almost always in um, media and then also in real life always kind of tend to be tied to hypermasculinity. So I think that was the um, scariest part for me. Just that whole, that whole really creepy, gross, weird frat vibe that was going around in the movie. This is the part where we find out uh, Liam has rushed a frat and he's very upset with us. (gasps) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) 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 Could you fucking imagine? Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. If I did, I wouldn't be able to tell you guys. I swear to secrecy. (laughs) No, it is a real thing. And that's what's so weird. And I think like hazing is not really Canada, but it definitely is in the U S but I definitely know that when I was dating this man, he would go to these meetings with his frat called chapter meetings Mm. and he would come back and I'd be like, Oh, like, how was it? And I'd be like, Oh, like, what did you talk about? He's like, you you know, I can't tell you. (laughs) I'd be like, okay. murders people. (laughs) (laughs) It's real. Like it is fucking weird. He would come back from these frat meetings and covered in black sludge and he wouldn't be able to tell me what happened. (laughs) Yeah, no, he he was really nice, but the whole, I kind of got a glimpse into that whole weird frat world when I was um, hanging out with him. And it, it was just weird and not like anything that I thought was actually real, but it is it's real and it's it's very culty. <laughs> that's, that's, that sucks. I don't like that at all. That makes me like yeah. actually kind of upset. I don't like that. Um, yeah. But, uh. Yeah, I think um I I think I agree that like some of it does feel a little bit um over the top. Like I think the bow and arrow thing um it's hard to be scared of it. Um I like that it's in the movie. I think it's a cool touch. It gives it this weird like um detachment because it's like who the fuck uses a bow and arrow anymore? <laughs> so it's weird seeing like a weird cloaked figure like going around but this is where the movie starts diverging from the other two in a lot of like really meaningful ways um i think if we want to get pedantic we probably could have been calling this a reboot and not a remake because it becomes so different but um so the first one is there's more than one person in the house (laughs) um so there's more for um (laughs) riley and chris and marty to have to contend with uh, well, they, they already did that in Black Christmas 2006, Corey. No, there's, there's even more. more. Two, there's, there's even more. more than two people in the house, yeah, is what the, you got to say. The arrows are coming from inside the house, and there's a lot of them. <laughs> uh, and um, so it's one of those things where you get a lot of like, oh, you think they got out, and then actually, whoops, here's somebody else. Um, and I think in the house, we get a lot of stuff stylistically from the movie that helps it a lot. A lot of this movie, if it's doing a close-up, the close-ups are really close. 
um, which I think helps give it a bit of um, a bit of a claustrophobic sense when you're inside the house. Um, the focus is usually really tight too, so like if you're on somebody's face, that's really all you're getting. Um, another thing that sort of leads into that, and I think helps build tension, is I don't know if anybody else like strictly took note of this, but um, there's a lot of cases where you're looking at the screen and you can only really see half the frame. Like part of the frame will be too out of focus or just nondescript or like dark if it's a wall in a different hallway or something and you you're not getting a full picture of what's happening and i think that plays into um the strength of the scares more because they're able to do less with the rating that they have so i think the lack of knowing that you get is super helpful the thing that stuck out for me was um chris and riley are hiding in the kitchen behind an island and as chris goes up the side crouching along the island um the left side of the frame is like black and it slowly gets a bit more black and there's less room to see her as she gets toward the screen and then the camera tilts up and you realize that the dude is like standing on top of it and so it makes that claustrophobic and surprising but really reiterates um how you're not getting the full story or the full picture. I think that's something you could extrapolate into the themes of the movie. I don't know if it's a reach. I took a note that said that and I was like, am I reaching? Am I trying too hard to sound smart <laughs> by saying that? But um, I think that's a super effective thing. And I think um, Liam and I talked about this uh, last week because there is um, so many Christmas lights in the 2006 one and it's just bathing everything. And I think this movie's the same. Um, because this is what killers in movies do. They turn all the lights out, so everything's lit with Christmas lights, and it looks great, and it's super atmospheric. Yeah, I agree. Like, I I think the first thing I took note of was that I really liked the cinematography. I thought it was really good, and especially, like, there's this reoccurring shot where um, it's Riley standing outside. She's on campus or something, and kind of um, the one that I remember is when she gets a text on her phone, and she's kind of looking around because the text says that they can see her um and the shot is always from within a building and it's through a window and it's you don't really see her face it's kind of the top of her head but i i really liked that shot and how it was repeated and i um just using that to say that, like i really liked the cinematography cool um i thought it was great and and uh moody um and i also really loved just a small thing but i also really loved the font that they use yes in the title card and then in the credits, uh-huh. like just that really Germanic looking creepy Christmas font. <laughs> that, that's sense. its name in Microsoft Word. Germanic yeah. creep, creepy Christmas font. Christmas font. Yeah. And I, I just thought that was cool and it great and kind of spot on to the whole, whole movie. What about you, Liam? How'd you feel about the movie from like a stylistic angle? I thought it looked really good. Um, I think a scary movie set at Christmas time, it's kind of hard to go wrong. I understand totally why they called this Black Christmas, despite it seeming more like a reboot. Because of where it goes in the third act um, and how it differs so much, I really, I think this could have been called uh, something else. Um, I'm not good with titles, but it could have been called something else. And it, it still it still would have totally worked and people wouldn't have said, hey, this seems like a Black Christmas 
ripoff. I, th- I think um, Black Christmas is just such a great title. So like, why not use it? Uh, mm-hmm. It's been a while since the last one. And I think um, in the same way that you can't go wrong with that title, you can't go wrong with a lot of the things they're shooting here. The Christmas lights look really nice. The snow looks really nice in that opening scene where the girl gets stabbed with a, the woman gets stabbed with an icicle and she gets pulled through the snow and, yeah. um, and she kind of has angel wings. And then as she gets pulled further, it kind of looks like a dick. And like, I don't know oh. if that was intentional. I didn't think that. I actually, I saw a review that mentioned the same thing. So yeah, I didn't that, notice that when I first watched it. Like, I just didn't read it as it being a dick. Yeah, I, I, I think it, more I think as like a it blood, very like a, like a symbolic blood smear. But I did think the snow angel image was like, really great and punctuates that scene really well yeah no i think uh i saw it more as like a symbolic ball sack and i thought it worked really well um and That's a good uh name i thought for something you could use that sometime yeah i've been looking for a band name i think symbolic ball sack might be the way to go <laughs> that or a creepy germanic um, christmas font yeah yeah it depends what style of music we end up going with it but i thought yeah i thought the movie looked really cool um you guys have highlighted two kills that i thought were shot really really nicely um one of them being when fran is looking for the cat and it's stationary and then there's a snap zoom and the other one is uh when um the woman is looking for the christmas lights upstairs and she's going back and forth she tries to plug in christmas lights and they don't work so it's still dark and then she plugs another one in and it's still dark and you know something is coming and i and i love horror movie scenes like that where you know something's coming but you don't know when it's going to happen the same thing pretty much happens when fran is looking for the cat you know you know she's going to find something but you don't know where or when you don't know if it's going to cut to another shot or uh and in this case you know you don't know where the killer is going to be and in both those cases it surprised me where the killer ended up being and so i think um this movie looked really nice and was constructed um, just formally in in some really impressive ways, which is really cool because I think this this was you know thrown together pretty quickly. I think they were shooting um, in like August or something, and and then it, it's coming out now here in December. So I think it's awesome that they uh, put this movie together so quickly in time for you know Friday the Thirteenth in December. Uh, part of me just thinks that Jason Blum realized that this December there's going to be a friday the 13th and he thought oh shit we need to put out a black christmas movie that's too good and so i think if that was the case you know it's impressive that so much of this looks so nice and uh stands out from other horror movies when it could have been a lot more um uh homogenized i also think um in terms of the style and then also how it relates to the original black christmas i think the style is probably the thing that relates the most to the original as opposed to the actual plot line. And I think also there's some really subtle things that I noticed um, that are like really nice nods to the original without being too obvious. Like when the girls are, I can't remember if it's when they're at the, I think it's when they're at the Christmas party right before the performance that they do at the frat, they're drinking and they're drinking little tiny cups like they basically look like little tiny champagne flutes mm-hmm. and i went back and looked and the cups look really similar to when heather goes missing in the original black christmas they i believe it's the officer they go into her and kind of look around and 
that they find is this little tiny glass that she was, I guess, drinking from the night before. And that was something that I noticed in the new one is that the glasses that the girls are drinking of drinking with um, the night of what's supposed to be, I guess, the same kind of party. Um, they're really similar glasses. So cool, a really, really tiny detail um, in the props that was a little nod to the original. Cool. There's also yeah. a nod to the 2006 one, if if we're going to do a nod segment. Um, so the movie opens on a different sorority house, uh, which we'll get into in a second. That's where um, the girl who's killed in the beginning, whose name is Lindsay, she's part of this other sorority. And um, there's an establishing shot that includes a glass unicorn head. And um, that's something that features in um, the 2006 Black Christmas. There's a character named Eve who is set apart as like the weird one, basically, and gives a gift to Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character. And it is a glass unicorn with a big horn that's obviously meant to later be used as a weapon. And I'm like 99% sure this is what happens is that when the security guard goes to check on this other sorority and gets killed, but then the Chris and Riley show up or Chris shows up, sorry. Um, and you swing the front door open. They have like one of the cloaked guys on the ground and the weapon they were using was the glass unicorn. There's also a unicorn head in the original. That's what, what the, I don't remember. Yeah. That's the what the killer, one. the killer uses um, this glass unicorn thing to kill barb oh when she's right. sleeping oh, fuck that's wild this has triple layers nod. y'all <laughs> triple nod um yeah that's really good and then also obviously um riley kills one of the guys with a plastic bag which is mm-hmm. a callback to the first movie that was awesome. That one uh, didn't bother me the way the phone call did because whereas the phone call is more a, of a, um, it, it, as it actually isn't relevant to the plot at all. You know, the, the phone didn't need to be disconnected um, for a little bit like that. And um, when it turns out that it's not actually anything threatening, uh, it kind of makes it irrelevant. Whereas this time around, um, it, it is very necessary. And so I was able to... I was able to think of the original while also thinking how cool it is the way they're utilizing it here in this new one. So I thought I thought that was a great moment. I thought that was really, really cool. So did I. I thought it was it was a really smart way to bring that back and sort of let it I don't know, like be reclaimed and let it go the other way and be in service of the protagonists. Um, yeah, yeah. Halloween twenty eighteen did similar things too, where this time like Laurie Strode is kind of doing the maneuvers that Michael Myers did in the original one, and so it was very similar in that way, and it's kind of just a, a fist pumping moment, you know? Yeah. Um I think I wanna go to the the big the big fight at the end, if that's cool. Yeah. I would love to. Um so we see earlier in the movie that there is um a weird frat hazing ritual happening that includes um, a bust of Calvin Hawthorne that oozes black goo and um, is being like rubbed on people's foreheads and like weird runes and symbols and uh, by um, Brian who is Riley's abuser and um, if uh, when you get to the end it's realized that basically when Chris did that petition that got the bust moved to the frat house, the frat realized that it 
contained like magical powers. Um, and um, Carrie always is. I would love to know. I would love to know how they found out it had magical powers. Yeah, did it just start like oozing one day and they didn't really know what to do with it and like some dipshit like just rubbed it all over his body? Like what happened? <laughs> oh god, that's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> Like they, like maybe they had like a cleaner, and like she comes out of the room, and she's like, "Yo, I don't know if you guys noticed, but somebody covered that room in goo, and I don't want to deal with it." <laughs> it's just interesting. Like that implies that it literally never did that while it play, and then it, it, it implies that the frat house itself is magic, <laughs> um, which is a whole other thing. Like, is this just is this like a a backdoor sequel to Monster House? <laughs> there's no uh, we'll never know but um so yeah then uh the uh landon who had been who is like a lovably awkward dude who um was sort of developing a friendship with riley gets caught up in it and we realize that um there's basically a high-pitched noise that gives you migraines and the migraine feeling that you get is the ghost of calvin hawthorne uh basically going into a man's brain and um like activating their like true man um there is a quote that i did get that i want to do because it puts it a lot more concisely than that (laughs) which um he was who he always meant to be a true man and um (laughs) they're like talking about uh, all these women who are stepping out of line and like that calvin hawthorne practiced magic to prepare for quote the threat of women and basically um if you're one of these weird uh frat boys with goo on you um you become like like stronger and more bigoted than ever before and um they're gonna use this like super misogyny power to go like maintain the status quo and um sort of react to women who are pushing for um better uh systemically and otherwise in their lives and um it's it's laid out in an almost hilariously specific monologue from carrie always where Uh, like he really just lays the whole thing out and i kind of wonder if that's because it's rated 14a um audience might be younger they want to really make it clear or they just want to put a fine point on it either way you know it's it's kind of a hit or miss monologue but um then the best fucking thing in the movie happens uh in my opinion which is uh so riley's there and um she's basically being forced to like submit to this cult and she realizes on the one hand that she can pretend to do that and then start trying to fight back but at one point the door is just kicked open and chris shows up with the car full of girls from the other sorority house and um they all have weapons and they all just start kicking the shit out of these assholes into <laughs> fucking rules um it's very rare that you get a horror movie that ends with um the final girl getting reinforcements and everybody kicks the shit out of the bad guys <laughs> Yeah, it's very Avengers Endgame. Yeah, how did you guys feel about that whole the both the weird supernatural aspect and um that like fight scene ending? You go first, Laura. Me go first. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
not sure if I think you know what I back to the trailer the I guess I can say now the yeah, trailer yeah. Yeah. completely gives that ending away no like, way absolutely completely like not even just like hints at it but does it show the, it the trailer yeah the trailer Whoa. shows like the whole ritual and then also shows this like dramatic turnaround of the professor so like not even that you know it's a cult like you literally know who the cult leader is from the trailer so i i think that's why i wasn't very pleased with the ending it was because i went into the movie completely expecting it because the trailer gave it away so Mm -hmm. nothing nothing surprised me about the ending so it's kind of hard for me to be like oh did i like it or did i not because i don't really know how my experience would have been going into the movie not knowing what the ending um which is kind of, i was disappointed by the trailer for that reason um because i think like it in some ways ruined the well obviously ruined the ending for me but ruined the whole experience of like it leading up to the ending because i the entire is leading up to and i'm not sure how you guys feel about that or if that's what you guys were expecting but yeah, I wasn't I wasn't thrilled about that because I think because of the trailer and then um I also think the No, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say <laughs> I was going like the climax part of the movie was a bit short, but then I just thought about how much I liked the whole lead up. So, yeah. You know, retract that statement. But yeah, enough, yeah, yeah, I'd be interested to, <laughs> I'd be interested to know if you guys saw that coming, um, which part, the cult part or the reinforcements the whole, part, the cult part. And I mean, I think they made it pretty obvious that it was going to be the professor who is yeah. leading the whole thing. It's not subtle. He had a list. He's like, he's got a shit eating grin all the time. He's <laughs> calling people out by name constantly, like main characters by yeah. name. Like, um, if, yeah, there, if there's something so that think- feels like, underwritten or like comedically handled it's like that he's just such a fucking bad guy yeah yeah so i think i guess that's i don't know if that's what you originally asked maybe i completely didn't answer your question no nah, man it's, this is not <laughs> but, like an interview you could you could say whatever you want but, um, <laughs> what about you, um yeah oh, sorry. oh sorry go I, ahead oh man you know what we're learning everybody this is our first three-man uh I don't want to say that. This is the worst. This is the worst podcast to say. This is our first three-man show. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this is our first time. I'm the I'm the worst. Cancel me. <laughs> this is our first time with a guest, so we're figuring it out. Um, but what about? I was gonna ask uh, what Liam thought about the cult stuff. Sure. Yeah. Ask it. Uh, so I um, I was certainly surprised, Laura. I didn't. I didn't expect this movie to be um, supernatural based. Um, and when it happened and when it happened so plainly, um, this is kind of when the movie started to lose me. It's when, so it's when the movie, um, I guess I could say that like the text became too texty for me, but I also don't think that's the issue because I didn't have a problem with those really uh explicit conversations that were happening earlier in the movie without any subtlety at all but i think my issue here was that the movie tried to lace in these these uh serious 
issues that we see every day, um, you know, that, that people have to put keys in their fists in order to combat. We, we see that channeled through something that is totally uh, otherworldly, supernatural. And um, I, 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 I'm bummed out that I feel that way because I think um, good storytelling, I mean, y- you should be able to channel themes like this in any way you want. And I also think that it's um uh they're they're telling a story that is so important that needs to be told um you know that the reason that women need to put keys in their fists in order to combat and then it's it's their story to tell so they should be able to tell it in any way they want you know Laura you talked earlier about how um when they did this this song at the talent show it might have felt like it was making light of it a light of a serious issue but it didn't feel that way because um it's it's their story it's their story to tell and their story to make light of and own in any way they want and so i do feel that with this ending i i get that um they the the filmmakers wanted to take this really serious issue and sort of channel it through a big horror movie um ending but to me it just it it felt like it didn't need it at all because um, the, I was already so unsettled earlier in the movie with those conversations and um, uh, with the way that these women were being subjugated by men. So then to have these serious issues um, channeled through these supernatural means, it, it just felt a, a bit... Um, too campy um for the story it needed to tell it it felt like it was it was a disservice to the weight of the actual issues because while it's it's still making a good point it it didn't it didn't feel effective because i was no longer scared and i no longer felt like i had to hold these these men accountable except for i'm holding calvin hawthorne accountable because he was a shitty dude like a hundred years ago um, and he like put this hex on a bust that is making other dudes shitty. And I don't think other dudes like need supernatural intervention to be shitty. And so when it turns out that just like, like Landon, this guy who we know is sweet, all it takes is for him to like get a frat curse put on him. And then, and then he's a bad dude. I just, I feel like it's kind of taking the weight off the actual villains and, um, it's just chalking up their their villainy to um something that is supernatural and therefore isn't as um isn't as scary in not a horror movie sense because i'm not looking to be scared by this movie as a horror movie but i'm looking to be scared of it as a movie that makes me look at what's happening in the real world differently and um a few weeks ago, Laura, Corey and I talked about the sequel to Carrie, Carrie 2, mm-hmm. and, and, and that was a story that had this um, this woman in high school be bullied a lot by a bunch of really shitty dudes who were like keeping a list about all the people they had slept with and were raiding them and stuff. And it's and based then- on real life based on real life and then at the end you just you have these guys form like a a big plan to make the carrie surrogate um rachel was her name to make the carrie surrogate uh feel really shitty about herself and then she lashes out in a supernatural sense and in, in that third act you know the supernatural 
felt like a uh, a necessary and exclamatory extension of the themes at hand, and mm-hmm. it gave it gave power to the woman in in that regard. But here, I felt like the supernatural stuff sort of took away from the weight and the villainy that I wanted to feel, and so this whole third act for me was was kind of a bummer. Yeah, I definitely agree. You kind of just put into words exactly what I was feeling with the ending. Like, I definitely feel like the fact that all the shitty things that these guys were doing and and all the hyper-masculinity and how they were acting, everything, the fact that that was all kind of chalked up to this, I love that you called it a frat curve. Um, that kind of like didn't sit right with me because I was like, there's so many, yeah, there's so many important points made in this movie. And then it just kind of felt like that whole ending and how it was like, oh, being shitty only because of the curse, like kind of just wiped all that out. And it's like, no, like that's actually how some men just are. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I definitely get that kind of it kind of cheapened some of the some of the points that were being made earlier on in the film and it i think yeah it was disappointing because it's the movie spent so much time building up these points and having so much to say about um sexual assault and self-defense that women have to go through just walking home and it spent so much time building all that up it kind of was wiped away by this frat curse excuse and i think like it could have been done in a in a good way where it could have been like ironic that um that they were kind of using that as, as an excuse but it i don't know it just didn't go that way so i just yeah i was kind of disappointed with the end for kind of the same reasons that you are Liam. yeah um i would love to offer a different perspective on the ending um i don't completely disagree with a lot of what you're saying i agree with a lot of it but i do think that there's like another way to read it a little bit because i think that obviously you know the literal cult um is a stand-in for like we're saying like the toxic masculinity just ideology that persists in real life but also just sort of how that kind of group think can egg other people on um and you know like we said like landon gets sort of indoctrinated into it and that could be emblematic of you know folks who are just like looking for a place where they feel accepted to get sucked into an ideology that sucks because it's enticing and then they become shittier people um i also think that i I always kind of i was reading it a bit as though that a lot of these guys like sucked already um like i don't Mm -hmm. think the reason that these things happened um are necessarily because that bust was put in the house like as far as i can tell um or at least how i read it it certainly seemed like um things like what happened to riley were maybe before that so it's not that the only reason these things are happening is because of like some weird magic shit in this movie but that it's um it's a useful frame of reference i think maybe especially for uh some of who might end up seeing this movie who's a bit younger to like contextualize it a bit um and have it have a bit more symbolic weight than a literal weight of 
they're doing this because there's a cult in this movie. Um, but I think reading it the other way is perfectly valid and it'll just kind of come down to like a viewer by viewer thing. I do think that there is probably a way to do it that doesn't leave the door open for reading it in a way that is ultimately disappointing because I do think that especially when the movie says these things so loudly, so strongly and with such passion that it can underwrite it a bit to end in that. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it'll come down to an individual kind of basis. Yeah. I think those are definitely good points. I didn't realize, I didn't realize that, um, yeah, the men actually were shitty. I'm assuming they were because they, they all seem like pretty <laughs> no, shitty people. Like, they definitely were. Like when, when the what's his face, the the super shitty one, um, Brian yeah. came into the cafe. Like he was an asshole. Yeah. Um, and I think also the ending though, I think I also didn't totally get it. Like okay. I didn't totally like understand what it was trying to say. No, I think I just t- didn't really understand what the point of them being possessed were was. Right. Especially like since they were already shitty, like why the need to be possessed in order to, to kill the girls because they weren't really doing any like supernatural stuff with. I guess that they couldn't die or whatever because they were just oozing black goo. But I think that's kind of what I didn't fully understand. Like I was like shitty, and they already wanted. Like I didn't totally get why they needed to be possessed or like what the point of that was, but maybe you guys could give me your thoughts on that or, or your hot takes. Uh, I think it, I think I keep saying it, but I think some of it does just come back to the rating. Like, I don't know if you can have a movie not rated R where that happens without some kind of outside force. <laughs> um, I, I think that's probably part of it. Um, I agree that it's not super clear, like, why that is what the movie decides to do, like, why it is, like, a cult, because you do obviously read the cult as emboldening them in a way that takes away from the fact that what if they were just emboldening themselves because they suck and they exist in frameworks that suck? I think that it's ultimately trying to give a position where so riley sort of has the realization where this where she's like you know what you're right chris i should have been fighting this whole time um she says that like as the as they're literally fighting which you know is a bit on the nose like a lot of these things are but um i think maybe giving it a framework where that um sort of symbolic fight of things like petitions or discourse or trying to change how people think can be presented in physical force um i don't want to speak for the movie they can decide whether they're advocating for literal physical force but um maybe it just makes it easier to present that message if physical force is permitted in that way i don't really know beyond that though um for me the, the way this thing was explained i think Corey's idea of rating um might be kind of apt I, th- I think I'm saying that because um, uh, all in all, that was actually my biggest problem with the movie was the the PG-13 um, tone of it. And that's not because I love R-rated horror movies and I need a horror movie to be R-rated because, you know, I've said before that I don't need a horror movie to scare me and I certainly don't need a horror movie to be rated R to scare me, but... This movie, in both the kills and in the expository 
monologue from Carrie Elwes at the end and the way that that is all put together so quickly because, you know, Laura, I also felt like that third act was um, uh, a bit rushed. I know, I know you, you sort of retracted that statement and uh, that makes sense because the rest of it was, I love spending all that time with it too. And mm-hmm. so what else would they do? But I think that, that last third act, it, it felt rushed because um, they, they needed to get it out there so clearly through dialogue. And I think the PG-13 thing here is a problem because it felt very much to me like this was meant to be an R-rated movie. I felt like I could see the cuts, you know? It's, it's one thing for a movie to choose to not show any blood or any kills and be filmed and written in that way. But this movie felt like it was gearing up to show a kill uh, every scene it was going to happen and to show uh, aftermath and 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 have fun with those um, scenes and then it pulled away at the last second and at some points I couldn't even tell who was getting killed and in what manner it was happening because the cuts were so jarring and also you know in in some of the dialogue stuff um, like we, we get a scene where Chris is like about to say suck my dick to Carrie Elwes and um or whatever she's gonna say, suck my something, and then, and then uh, there's like a there's a sound effect that covers up what she's saying, and and workarounds like that they feel like they're they're um, imposed on the film afterward, and they're not actually part of what the film wants to be. And I think the monologue also does that, where it just it needs to be so plain, and it needs to wrap all this stuff up in a nice big supernatural bow that's explained right away and i don't have a problem with the movie turning out to be supernatural because i think it is um a really neat like uh whatever you want to call it metaphor for um toxic masculinity and the fact that you know it it starts at the top and it's passed down through generations and sometimes people you know men actually don't have that much choice if they're brought up to believe that women should be subservient to them then there's going to be generations of dudes who think this way and you know that's like and that it's often resulting in violence against women too like yeah of course of course and so i understand like all the parts as to why um this movie went the way it did but um the way it was communicated so quickly and so on the nose with the dialogue um it it just it felt a little bit too slapdash and it felt like mm-hmm. um that's where i was noticing that oh this movie really was like written in april and it was like shot in august and put together for december and it was was shot with an R rating in mind, you know. Do and we I've know looked in, that? Yeah, I've looked okay. into all these things, and it was shot to be R rated, and they cut they cut it up after. And um, I like that young women can see this movie, and mm-hmm. I think that's really cool that they can go to the theater and um, maybe digest the last act of this movie a bit easier. And so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock it for those reasons, but I think that's more just looking on the bright side because when the movie and the filmmakers actually intended it to be r-rated and you know it wasn't their initial intention to make a movie that young people can see in the theaters you know um then i'm gonna notice when when those cuts are made and those compromises are made and so that those those sorts of things were my biggest problem with the movie and um uh you know, just kind of segueing into my final thoughts. I, I would love to check it out again. Um, I think it says a lot and um, 
that's really the most I can ask for for a movie is to be ambitious and and to try something new. And so I certainly feel like this movie does that. Um, and I think Black Christmas is actually like kind of a, a perfect horror franchise. You know, that doesn't mean I think every film is perfect, but I think every film in the franchise has a reason to exist. Um, you know, Corey said that you, you said that you never expected Black Christmas to become a franchise. And um, I think it would be a problem if Black Christmas became a franchise the way like Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween became a franchise where like we're Black just like Christmas getting three dream warriors is not something. Yeah, and then like and then like Billy goes to space and he kills like a Ugh. sorority house in on like Mars. Like I don't want any of that. But but Black Christmas like just being um a concept that, that comes out like every twenty years or something and it tackles it in a very different way, I think that's really cool. I think the original Black Christmas is the perfect original movie because um, it has all sorts of things working for it, and it also has like a lot of uh, a lot of ground that can be mined and stuff that can be pulled out of out of it and expanded upon. And I think the 2006 movie did that. It really dug its claws into like the slasher aspect of it and gave us a lot of that. And then I think this movie really dug into the feminist stuff that is in the original movie and gave mm -hmm. us more of that. And so I really think um, this is a super neat franchise and it would be a great triple feature. You would never get bored because uh, n no movie is the same as the last. And so I'm super glad this is out there. I just, uh, th there's stuff I could have liked more, you know, that's it though that's it that's all i got yeah i want to i think i'll i'll do some final thoughts next because i'd love to give uh laura the last word here but one thing i want to say really quick before i get into my final thoughts is that there were a lot of like little production design touches in this movie that i thought were great and i really want to point out that when fran loses her diva cup she's wearing a shirt that says your monologue is boring me and that shirt it fucking... says your manologue yeah your manologue i read it as monologue either the shirt's better now then because i figured that's what it was <laughs> getting at um i didn't read it as manologue but that's better and i was gonna say i love that shirt and i want it <laughs> is all i was gonna say um now i feel dumb but um i agree with a lot of what liam had to say i think that um it really is remarkable how this core concept has been able to like evolve with its variations over time. And um, I think that, you know, the original does have a bit of that um, overt feminism to it, but it's a lot of something that you can read on a subtextual level and through analysis of how um, that movie operates. And then, the uh the 2006 version does kind of jettison a lot of that and puts like a sisterhood theme in the background to lean more into just like the violence of it all and this one just makes subtext text and makes a really strong point uh at a time when in the general zeitgeist that point is important and i think it's really really valuable that it does ultimately have a 14a rating or a pg-13 rating um, despite what that might do to some of the choices in the movie, because it's something that can get out explicitly in media to a wide audience of young women who might need to hear something like that. And I think that's super great. And I'm glad that the movie exists and is able to do that. And all that aside, um, which is almost a wild thing to say with how strongly it puts that in the forefront, 
it is just a really well-made movie. It's a super good time. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it again and seeing it more and it kind of becoming a regular thing. And, um, you know, I, I really don't know if I could have asked for much more. I really don't have a lot to complain about. And um, that's that's great. So, uh, Laura, final thoughts. So, first of all, I'm just really glad that we all generally agreed on enjoying the movie and how important the themes were and everything like that. And I agree with you, Corey, that it's awesome that it has a 14A rating. Um, so more younger girls can go and see it. And um, I guess like not the heavy handed feminism kind of stuff that's super in your face, that aside, I think just getting younger girls out to see a movie where their own thoughts the things that they talk about with their friends is shown on screen um aside from that whole added really awesome um feminist uh narrative that's in the movie um just having that shown to young girls is so awesome um and not even just young girls like everyone like it was great for me to see and it was entertaining because i found that all the the girls who lived in the sorority house, um, all of our main characters were really relatable and, and like people that I'd met before and, and loved before. And um, I just thought that was super awesome. The characters were real. They were relatable and they were funny. Um, so, yeah, I think just in general, I, I just super enjoyed it. It was a fun time. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. And I think something that I'm really something that I've learned actually from watching it is that um, uh, I'm kind of the type of person, which is I'm embarrassed to admit this because you guys watch so many movies for this show, for this um, podcast and you just do so much research and watch so many movies that people normally wouldn't see. But I have always kind of tended to be a person where if I hear a movie's not good or if I watch a trailer and think I won't like it, I will not watch it. And like, that's always how I've been. And then because I agreed to do this with you guys and then watch the trailer and I was like, (laughs) you're like, well, I'm stuck Um, now. Yeah. And then I'm actually glad I watched it and I really liked it. And it just kind of showed me like trailers aren't the movie. Like I, I've probably missed out on a lot of <laughs> just because I thought I wouldn't like it. So that was, um, yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest thing I've learned from watching this. Um, overall final thoughts. I thought this was great. I was so pleasantly surprised, um, at how much I enjoyed it. And, um, it was kind of a wake up call to me as well to try more things that I don't think I'm going to necessarily enjoy because, I didn't think I was going to love this and I loved it. Wicked. I'm happy about that. Um, uh, We did just say a lot that it's great that um, uh, young girls can see this movie too. And I think that rules, but also, Hey men listening, go see this fucking movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I agree. (laughs) Um, Well, Laura, thank you so much for coming on to the show. This has been a super good time. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much for having me guys. yeah you're, you're welcome I love your back podcast. you're welcome back anytime thank you for flattering us with the idea that we do a lot of research because i mean i don't know but, um, you watch a lot of movies that a lot of people wouldn't put the 
time into, and I, I deeply respect that. Thank you. Thank you. That's very nice. Um, and uh, with that, we would like to thank everybody listening for checking out another episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, all one word, on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, Breaker, and like a million other fucking things. Um, you can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and whether or not you think shooting a bow and arrow in a house is a good idea. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallo. And Laura, where can people find you? People can find me on Letterboxd at Laura underscore ATH. And you can catch me on Twitter at Mr. Corey Price. And with that, we would like to thank Laura once again. And we would like to thank everybody listening once again. And you can catch us here next week for our Christmas spectacular episode of They Made Another One?